Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ETD. And I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 president-elect. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Eanes, the vice president of marketing and communications. We also have Helena Hodges, vice president of finance and operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing an award-winning speaker, global virtual facilitator, and master trainer who brings 25 years of experience in the talent development industry, the CEO and co-founder of Howells Associates, and the author of Next Level Virtual Training, Diana Howells. Welcome, Diana. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, we are really excited you're here because today's topic is probably one that has been on everyone's minds, especially for the last couple of years. But we're getting a little bit closer as far as understanding what I I guess what you would say the next phase of this is going to look like. And that's why I'm excited. Our topic is next level virtual training. (laughs) Before we jump in, though, we would love it if you tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so I have been in the talent development field now for 25 years. I have worked in the private sector and the public sector. I have worked with academic institutions as well. And interestingly enough, I actually joined ATD way back when, uh, before I even got my first trainer job. So for those of our, our listeners who maybe are just starting to get into the talent development field, it really uh, is a great organization where you can jump in and learn so much. And then I actually received my first training job after that and have been a part of ATD ever since. So it's such a wonderful resource for those of us in the industry. I could not agree with you more. In fact, I know a lot of us, including those of us who are on the call today, have had really similar experiences with ATD being just a huge career driver, a great place for networking. Oh, I'm so excited to know that you've been part of the community too. That's wonderful. (laughs) All right. Now, most of us have been in the virtual training world for quite a while now. And the last couple of years, really the last two years, have been all about evolving as virtual facilitators. And I think it would be fair to say that we've really been looking at what it means to level up. So I would love to start things off by asking you about what next level virtual training means to you. Well, yeah, that's a great question. And some of us have been around in the industry long enough that we've been doing virtual training for a while. And those folks who have just come on with the pandemic have been doing it for a couple of years. To me, next level training means we take it up a notch. We go from just getting by to really doing our best work. And in my opinion, to help us do that the best, uh, we need a framework. We need sort of a, a model to help us gauge and measure where we want to go. And so for me, um, I developed a capability model that actually outlines eight areas of expertise so that talent development professionals can grow in their proficiencies in these areas. And these areas are all related to how we can best deliver and design uh, virtual training. That's really exciting to hear, and especially that it's a capability model. 
And I love that ETD switched over to the usage of a capability model a couple of years ago because it really does allow us to look more at what it means to build capabilities rather than competencies. It's just a nice, you know, it's a better word. It embraces quite a bit more. And I'd love to hear from you a little bit about what some of those capabilities are. What have you, yeah. what have you incorporated in the capability model? Exactly. And, and even some of them, you might be thinking, oh, that's something we've, we've done before, but we really want to elevate the level, as I mentioned earlier. So one of those capabilities, for example, is learning experience design. And I have a whole chapter in the book, Next Level Virtual Training, dedicated to how do we apply learning experience design directly to virtual training. And really, when we think about it, it's really sort of this mind shift where we think about learner-centered training and task-centered training as well. We need the workplace performance improvement, right? Mm. But it's a holistic approach and one that really can transform uh, talent development professionals and virtual facilitators' delivery and um, and also their, their training outcomes. Another one is facilitator presence, another capability. And this capability is one that looks at both the vocal and audio piece, but also the on-camera skills, because that's a new literacy for folks, right? Yeah. Especially for many of us. We've been on camera now all the time for two years, but there are still things we can do to be more effective. So that's that's one of those capabilities. And then di- dynamic engagement is is yet another capability. I'd love to hear a little bit more about dynamic engagement because in ex- you know experiencing some of the various virtual trainings that I've been part of, and you know to be fairly honest. Even some of the sessions that I've delivered, engagement is a place where a lot of facilitators struggle. It can be really difficult to make a connection from camera to camera as opposed to face to face, which is where a lot of people have started. So I'm curious if either through building the capability model or through the experience that you have or your research into this, if there are any tips you might be able to offer as far as where people might be able to start or focus as they're thinking about what that engagement piece could look like. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think some of the keys are actually in the title of that capability as well. Yeah. So dynamic, yeah, dynamic engagement. And so we look at the opposite of dynamic, which would be static, right? Right. So there's this uh, sort of notion of habituation. And habituation is the more exposed we are to something, the less attention we pay to it. Mm. And so when things become static over time, we stop paying attention. So part of learning in virtual training is capturing attention, sustaining attention, engaging participants throughout, right, the entire virtual training session. And so we want to do things that avoid that sort of static part of it. So what are some of those dynamic things? It could be in how we do the visuals and using the visuals. It could be progressive builds. It could be variety in our inflection. It could be breaking up what we do in terms of interactivity, working toward the dynamism of um, the overall virtual training program. And I think this is another area where it's exciting to hear that this is a capability, meaning that there is that call for growth within it. And I think for many of us, especially over the last couple of years, if you felt like you were thrown into virtual training, you certainly weren't alone. But it also meant that many of us were sort of grasping for the same tools. 
And as soon as someone discovered, you know, for example, online polling, Slido and Mentimeter, yeah. soon enough, we all had it. Right. And after a while, you start to see those participation numbers dropping because everyone is almost just, it's been overexposed. Too many people have started using it and it starts to lose its meaning. So it's almost that call not to allow your skill set to get stagnant, but to continue to embrace new tools, new ideas, find a way to add a little variety to some of those sessions. Absolutely. And that's kind of the continuum I hope that all of us can be on. We're going to watch these technologies continue to improve and adapt. They're going to get easier to use. They're going to develop more things that we can include for interactivity. And just as we continue to grow on that continuum, then you know, we will be able to continue to challenge our learners and take them to the next level. But yes, it's constantly evolving. Absolutely. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yes. And Diana, one of the things that I heard you say earlier is on camera competence. I know it's a thing. And I know for a lot of us, when the pandemic hit, we had to sort of go from mastering in person and um, doing live facilitation engagement to now developing a whole set of skills. Can you talk to us a little bit about that capability that you mentioned before that entails on camera competence? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I said, I believe it's a new literacy and it certainly has a place in virtual training. And so we'll hear folks say, well, do I need to be on camera all the time, right? There's the discussion about camera fatigue and screen fatigue, which all of you and all of our listeners have also experienced. But as the facilitator, it is important to be on camera for what I call purposeful connection moments because you are establishing uh, presence as a facilitator, which is so important for learning. And you are also um, in certain situations uh, modeling for them, right, how to interact. So when you have like group discussions, it's really important to what I like to do is turn off any slide visuals and just bring everybody on camera. I do let them know ahead of time before class day, please be camera ready. We never force anybody on camera, but we certainly strongly encourage it for those group discussions, for example, or introductions, or if they're actually doing something that involves being on camera, like practicing a presentation or something like that. But there are certain techniques that are very important to come across effectively on camera. One of those would be to uh, leave yourself just a little bit of headroom, a small margin of headroom. Sometimes you've seen these huge gaps of real estate where somebody's head is way down at the bottom and there's this <laughs> Absolutely. huge margin, right? right? Or, or you see the little chin off to the side oh. or, or just half the face. So really it's centering yourself kind of, uh, I I use what I call the three finger rule. You sort of lay your three fingers horizontally above your head and that's the margin you need to frame yourself. Another technique is is just being able to light yourself well. Your learners want to see your face, your expression, and actually expressions are an important part of of learning as well. Um, in neuroscience, they talk about when you smile, uh, a lot of the rewarding part of your brain like lights up when you see the smile. So when it's conducive to content, uh, we really, you know, want to smile and be expressive. 
but lighting yourself well, which entails making sure you light yourself from the front. Your light (laughs) sources should be in front of you. It can be on either side of your device, not behind you. And I think a common error we we see often is a window behind somebody and then they just get cast in shadow, right? And it's it's dark and it becomes a distraction. And we want to be about minimizing distractions so learners can 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 learn. I love it that. looks dramatic, but perhaps not in the right way. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, one of my Most pet peeves is uh, looking down at the camera. You know, like they yes. have a, mm-hmm. a laptop and they're and it's lower than their head or body. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because when you have, yes, it's usually looking down at a laptop and what it feels like to the learner is this sort of intimidating posture because we feel like you're invasive and um, Mm -hmm. we feel sort of subordinate, right? And so we know that in building good rapport and building good relationship, you really want to be more um, sort of equitable. And so raising up that device is something that you can do to be a little closer to being eye level. Mm -hmm. And that just actually helps build better rapport. Sometimes in the past, I've even used board games that were sturdy, you know, those boxes. You (laughs) can raise an upside down basket. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you can be really creative and um, and just kind of elevate that so that you can be more eye level. I think it makes a lot of sense to to consider that. It also gets me thinking that, especially with lighting, for example, things can change. It seems that it might even make sense periodically to get on a Zoom by yourself, perhaps, and double check to see how things look and make sure that your your setup is the way you remembered it. Because <laughs> a lot of us are very conditioned now to not look at ourselves on camera. It's a distraction. And many of us are just very tired of seeing ourselves smiling back at ourselves all the time. So <laughs> maybe building in a little bit of time to make sure that things are the way you intended them to be, especially if you're preparing for a bigger session or you know something that might be recorded. Yeah, that's a great tip. And I would also add to that, that when you are record, if you do a Zoom and then you, or you use any kind of, of platform, right? You could use Adobe Connect, you could use WebEx and you are, rec- you can record yourself yeah. and sort of look near the lens and you can actually find out where you're looking right at the lens to, to establish rapport to. And I know that you need to look over at chat. You need to look over at the whiteboard. You need to reference your notes. So, but when it's convenient and when you can, uh, especially for those really important points, you want to look at the camera lens too, because you're talking to your learners uh, that way. Oh, I love that you mentioned recording because oftentimes we're focused on the visual part, right? But we, And we think we sound fine because we sound fine, you know, uh, when we're talking uh, to our computer, but we want to make sure that our audio is good too. There's a lot of research. And I learned this at AD, ATD Technology. Um conference recently that there's actually research studies out there that your your video can be so-so, but if your audio is bad, it's actually, it hurts your credibility. That's, That's so true. Yeah. Audio, yes. Mm-hmm. Audio is so important. And especially it's, it's super important too, when we talk about hybrid training, uh, where we have both virtual learners and in-room uh, learners, the audio actually is the number one thing you have to get right. But yes, even just in virtual training, um, audio is super important. Absolutely. Well, Diana, I love that you mentioned hybrid. 
<laughs> guess what? <laughs> Let's talk some hybrid. So we know uh, looking ahead to the coming months. Well, and I even think this is going to be the new normal, right? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on how we can use our virtual training knowledge and skills and begin to transition them into hybrid work or even a live mixed learning environment? Yeah, that's what I call it too. So live mixed is really bringing together this mixed environment and it is live. And sometimes hybrid as a term can be confusing because we use hybrid for all sorts of things, hybrid cars and hybrid models. But live mixed really, I think, details exactly what it is. But there certainly are considerations we need to think about. For example, a facilitator has a lot going on. So think about when you go from in-person to virtual training. And I worked last week with an an individual who's sort of new to virtual training. And after working through it, she said, wow, this is this is kind of rough because it was new to her. And there were some tech, technology hiccups, which, which is just part of virtual training, right? We've all experienced the technology challenges. Of course. So when we, right. So when we go to this hybrid or live mixed environment, we have so much more going on. We have the on-location uh, learners in the room, and then we have the online learners so there's some things we can do to manage everything. It's very, there's a very high cognitive load for the facilitator um, because there's so much more going on. So one of the recommendations um, that we make in the book, because I have a whole chapter dedicated to this, is to work with co-facilitators. So you have a co-facilitator who's online, virtual, and then you have a co-facilitator who's present on site and they work together. And Uh, You do this to share and minimize the cognitive load of just managing that whole situation. Another tip is having technical support. Actually work, partner together with your IT department. Have a technical support person there. We're doing a hybrid training next week and we have somebody who's going to be in the room with us. I'm going to be the lead facilitator. So um, I have a co-facilitator who will be online. So it's good to differentiate that. Um, But just to coordinate all of that, of course. And then the other thing to keep in mind too is managing what we can control. And part of that is keeping the size small. So intentionally, we um, actually keep our, our classes 15 or, or less um, because it helps you right manage the, the different components that go on. And then most importantly is really build equitable learning experiences regardless of whether you're on-site or online that you can still participate. So really thinking carefully through how we design those learning experiences for live mix. Absolutely. A team would be awesome. Is there any advice you have for those? Because sometimes it's one person training departments. Yeah. Is there any suggestions for that? Right. Because that is that is reality. And sometimes that happens with virtual training too, right? Where they say, well, I'd love to work with a producer to help share the load, but but we're sort of limited. What I always tell people to think about is creative solutions. Sometimes we can find great solutions when we just open our mind to what could we do. Sometimes an intern can help as a producer. Sometimes somebody who aspires to be coming into the learning and development field 
who works in your organization could be pulled in. Uh, perhaps there are other resources that you can think of that you can sort of share or have a facilitator come on for just part of, of the time. In terms of, of hybrid, though, if you just have one person, I would definitely encourage them to at least partner with somebody who is technically astute in their organization to help set things up, make sure you do a tech check and walk through using the technology. There's so many different ways that we can connect together, but making sure all of that is operable and you really, you really do need assistance um, because there's, there's so much that is happening at the same time. And what I'm hearing too is rest up because you're going to be tired after the day. (laughs) You'll be tired. Yes. 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 Yeah, I have to say, too, that is some of the best advice that I received. I'm thrilled to hear that that's what you're sharing today, because a lot of times, especially for teams of one, and I know uh, many of our chapter members are consultants, so sort of the eternal team of one. (laughs) And for many of them, you may be able to find an organization you're working with who has staff who may be able to help you. And sometimes that that isn't possible. And one thing that has worked really well for me is partnering with other consultants who, you know, I certainly consider to be colleagues. So you're right about thinking creatively. It may be that there are people in your network looking for a little bit of additional experience or exposure to this kind of training. Maybe they're looking to build their own skill set. And by asking if somebody would like that practice, that opportunity, you may be helping them just as much as they'd be helping you. That's right. And sometimes these wonderful solutions emerge just when we become open to them and we, yeah. we it's sort of a design thinking principle, right? How can yeah. we is the prompt? What if? And then sometimes these, these solutions will drop in. And one other thing to keep in mind, which we, we referenced earlier when we were talking about how important audio is and getting that right is usually the com- the most common complaint about live mixed learning is usually the virtual learner saying we can't hear correctly. We can't mm. hear well. So maybe the facilitator is moving around the room or maybe when the other participants on location are sharing that they, they are not able to hear. So uh, I, I interview experts too that I've listed in my book and one in particular, um, Dr. Michael City, he recommends that you you spend the majority of your budget on getting the audio right so that virtual learners can hear what's said in the room. And there is a lot of technology now that's available with these omnipresent sort of uh, roaming cameras and really good microphones. Uh, So the technology is just getting better and better. And ideally, as we evolve and do more and more live mixed learning, the technology should become easier and easier to use as well. It was so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Diane, it has come to this time. At the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests rapid fire style questions. And each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? All right. I'm ready. Okay. Give us one book that everyone must read and why. Well, you know, there's so many books and it's it's so hard to pick because I'm sure all of our listeners and all of you too have so many favorites. Uh, one that comes to mind for me is a book by Dr. Carmen Simon and it's called Impossible to Ignore. 
And what I love about that book is she really talks about how to make memorable content, which I think is so relevant for what we do in talent development and all of the different things, the cues to help make content memorable, which is useful for learning and, of course, for presentations. So things like repetition and cues and context and and all sorts of really wonderful tips. Nice. What is one tool that you cannot live without? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I, right. It's hard to find one. I am a Snagit junkie. So for those of you who don't know Snagit, it's a product from TechSmith, but it allows us, it's a screen capture app and it allows us to capture images and videos. You can edit them. You can annotate on them with arrows and text and shapes. And I use it multiple times every day. So Snagit is one of my favorite tools. Yes. And you know what? I used it about 15 years ago and it's good to know it's still around and still evolving. Wow. Interesting. Yes. So what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? I think the best piece of advice I've ever been given, which I have used in multiple contexts, is I once took a speech. It's a screen acting class in Chicago. And our uh, screen actor instructor taught us never play the victim. And what she meant by that was when you went to an audition to uh, audition for a commercial or audition for voiceover or a scene or a film to never say, oh, I didn't get the copy until right before, or, oh, they had me wait until I was too tired, or I didn't get lunch before I walked into the audition, or I had to do a cold read. Like All of those are really just excuses. And so what I've learned to do is that regardless of what happens in virtual training, or even when we did in-person training, things surprises can emerge, right? But I've learned to never play the victim. So once I showed up at a site and the training books had been mailed back, like there were no workbooks, or you get online and maybe a button that was on the platform yesterday wasn't there today. And so really just never having excuses and saying, okay, this is what it is. And what can I do instead? And finding a solution and being creative and never letting that be an excuse for not giving your best and being excellent oh, in virtual training. It. Very nice. Making it work. Yes. That's almost a wonderful way to bring us full circle, isn't it? You know, thinking about virtual training, hybrid training, we're entering a lot of different components of what it means to train that that are very new to us. Things will happen. Mistakes, challenges, technical, non-technical, you name it. And I think that's a wonderful call to action. Don't play the victim. You can right. find a solution to anything. Exactly. And oh, we're, we're, wow. in such, we're in such an exciting age too. We're pioneering, which is so fun about it. That's the adventure part of it and the exploratory part of this. And we are sort of paving the way, right, for the for the next generation. So, so really just have fun and, and enjoy pioneering. We really are. You know, Diana, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for being here, for inspiring us, for really making this seem accessible. You know, there are a lot of questions and concerns as we start to get into the next level, you know, really of what this is going to look like. And I'm thrilled that you've written your book. I'm thrilled you're here with us today. This has been so much fun. Thanks so much for having me. I already pre-ordered it. I'm about to do that myself. (laughs) Of of course, a big thank you to my co-hosts as well. 
Yes, I have to say this is probably one of the most relevant episodes for our talent development listeners. So thank you so much, Diane. <laughs> yes, I couldn't thank say it better. So this was great. And of course, many thanks to our community for listening today. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you interested in learning more about the Metro DC chapter of ATD or following us on social media? Go to dcatd.org and click on About. Check out dcatd.org for upcoming chapter events, learning programs, member benefits, and so much more. Music